0: If you'd join me in praying as we come to the word this morning. Lord Jesus, we have come this morning to meet with you. Through our songs, through our prayers, through our offering, through time coming together to look at your word, we have come to meet with the king. God, may you bless us with your presence, I pray. May you pour yourself out this morning. Let it rain, God. Rain down your presence on us. As as your word uh, is taught this morning, as your word is discussed, may you be present. May you do your transforming work as only you can. May you increase this morning and may I decrease in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing through the book of Mark, and a comment was made a couple weeks ago. Remember like eight years ago when we started the book of Mark and and how long it's taken us to get through the book of Mark? As long as that feels to us, that's how this particular Tuesday must have felt to Jesus. The last six weeks of teaching have all been in one day in Jesus' final week of ministry leading up to the cross. It's all been on Tuesday. Today will be Tuesday. The next two weeks will still be Tuesday. Jesus understands what a long time it takes to get through the book of Mark. Jesus has, has come in and he's been questioned by the religious leaders. He's, he's been grilled in front of the crowds as they try to trap him and trick him. He's handed out warnings to beware of these leaders who say one thing but live in another way. And finally, Jesus gets a little break where we are in in Mark chapter 12 in in verse 41. All of these things have been happening. It's been rapid fire, Jesus on the spot the whole time. And now we find Jesus with a moment to take a step back. The crowds are off doing something else. Even his disciples have stepped away to do something else. And we find Jesus just in a moment of (sighs) taking a step back and taking a breath. And here's what it says in Mark chapter 12, 41. Sitting across from the temple treasury, He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Many rich people were putting in large sums and a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. So finally, Jesus has a moment to himself and he decides to just sit back and what does he see? But the line to put money into the temple treasury. It's right there in front of him. It was kind of at the entrance uh, to the temple. It was a big spectacle. And so Jesus sits back and it says, he's just watching this line, watching how people are dropping money into the treasury. And something catches his eye. Let me, let me paint this picture for you because this is kind of a weird scenario. If this happened at a church, most of us would run screaming, but everyone was bringing their offering And it was this massive spectacle. There was a huge line filled with rich people in their best clothing, bringing bags full of money and in front of everyone, dumping them into the treasury. It was a spectacle to go and give at the temple. And Jesus looks in, and maybe some of these people are so rich, so well off, they don't even carry their own money. They have servants in line with them carrying their bags of money. And there's other lines at other places around the temple where people are driving livestock to give to the Lord, where they have carts and baskets full of fruit and vegetables that they're offering to the Lord. This, one, this particular line is money. And it says that Jesus looks and he sees many rich people putting in large sums of money. It's obvious just from looking at them. Rich, 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 rich maybe judging by their clothes, maybe judging by the the size of the bag of coins that they have. And as he looks at this line, one woman catches his eye. This widow, he says, a, a poor widow, probably not dressed nearly as nicely as the rest of them, probably wearing dark mourning colors, her head covered in a wrap, Maybe she's standing there just rubbing these two coins together. All she has. Maybe she's looking around at the big sacks full of, of cash that everybody else has. And she decides to put her two coins back in her purse. Maybe she's a little embarrassed of it, but, but Jesus looks at this line, at the spectacle, and this woman catches his eye. And she walks up and she drops in two tiny coins worth very little. Again, if... if if there was boxes at the door and you had to pull out cash and put it in before you were allowed to come into church today, most of us would turn and run. This scene is a weird scene for us because we've grown up 2,000 years later where the teachings of Jesus have been implemented in the church. And so Jesus, this wasn't the way that he set it up. Here's actually what Jesus taught about giving in Matthew chapter six. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people to be seen by them, Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on their streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've gotten their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, look, the way that giving happens now in his day it's atrocious. It's not the way that God desires. They would literally blow trumpets. Look how much I'm giving. I gave a poor guy a sandwich. And the people would stand and they would applaud. Again, if that happened today, we would be like, we would just all back away slowly. God's like lightning's about to come down. We know what's gonna happen. But for them, this was what they were trained. This is how they were taught to give. Because the giving system was set up by those that wanted to show off. And so Jesus is looking at this line with these people dumping all of this money into the treasury. Great sums of money going into the treasury. But yet this widow catches his eye. Jesus had just warned the people, beware of the scribes. And in Matthew it says, scribes and Pharisees because they love to be honored. They love for people to applaud them. They love to to get those special places of honor. Yet what did he accuse them of? They devour widows' houses. They use the people that God has given them. They, they, They take money from them. They take their possessions to build themselves up. Jesus sees this widow. Maybe her house was devoured by one of the very scribes that's in the crowd. And this widow catches his eye. The next verse, summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. So he calls his his disciples over and we know Peter is a very literal guy, right? When Jesus said, beware the yeast of the Pharisees, where did Peter go? Oh, he's mad because we don't have bread. Peter took everything at face value. And so when Jesus goes, that woman right there just gave more than everyone else combined. You know, Peter had to be like, no, she didn't, Jesus. She, she put in two little coins. What does he think she put in there? We all saw it. We, we, you couldn't even hear the clink when they dropped in. What is he talking about? To, to look at this line, again, men in fine robes with servants carrying bags of gold coins. And Jesus says, this woman put in more than all of them he saw something they didn't see. So let, me, so let me ask this question. And again, let's have some feedback. Let's learn from each other. What was it about the gift that made Jesus take notice? What was it about the way that this widow approached the treasury that caused Jesus to take notice, to make this massive claim, what she put in is more valuable than everybody else combined? What was it about the widow that Jesus saw that everyone else missed? Sacrifice? She probably didn't make like, a big show of it. it show. <laughs> she didn't make, I, I doubt she walked up and went, Kobe threw the money in. Like, you guys see that? That was two mites. Like, there wasn't a big show when this widow put the money in. This was an incredibly sacrificial gift, we'll find out here in a moment. Never? Uh, gave- yeah, don't go to the next verse yet. I'm not there yet. Come on, man. You you think this is easy? You want to do this? (laughs) We'll find out. She gave everything that she had. David? (inaudible) Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else was, was mesmerized by the sum. Look at the amount that people are giving. Everyone in line, again, it's a spectacle. You know, they were looking at their bag of money bigger than his, bigger than his. Uh, he's got me, okay? And you know they were comparing. You know that, and everyone's judging, and then they see this woman, and they probably would have laughed a little bit. Oh, that's cute. You know what? You just keep your two mites. What, what's the temple even gonna do with these two tiny coins, lady? But what Jesus saw wasn't the sum, wasn't the amount, how much, how little. What he saw was the woman's heart. He saw beneath The amount to go, let's look at the next verse, Maverick. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury, for they all gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. It had nothing to do with the amount of her gift, what it had to do with the faith in her heart. But by putting those two coins in, all she had to live on, it was recognizing, God, everything I have is yours. This money, I mean, here's the thing. We can look at it, and it would have, in today's economy, it would be somewhere in the ballpark of a dollar that she put in. This dollar, we could look at it and go, what's a dollar? It doesn't matter at all. But when a dollar is all you have, you start thinking of all the different things you can do with that dollar and how that dollar can provide for you and maybe just make it to tomorrow and maybe tomorrow someone will give you another dollar. Yet this woman, by her act of putting it in the treasury, said, God, you provide for me, not money. You look out for me. I don't have to look out for myself. It was an incredible act of faith. You're my good, my heavenly father who provides for me. This dollar doesn't provide for me. How do you think the story... Ends. We we never hear from this widow again. But do you think when the disciples came up and went, Jesus, what's what's going on with that lady? He goes, oh, she'll be dead by Tuesday. The fool put in her only dollar. She has no chance. Do you think this is the story Jesus would tell? This woman is going to understand what it means to have her heavenly father take care of her because she's put everything into the place. She didn't leave herself with a way out. God, you show up or I'm done for This was the heart of the woman, and Jesus says her measly gift, two mites, two tiny coins, is more valuable to God than all the sums that everyone else in this massive line is putting in today. Literally tons of gold and silver. Her two mites is more valuable to her God than all of that combined. You see, it said Jesus was sitting across from the temple treasury. He watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. Jesus wasn't looking at what they dropped into the treasury. He was looking at how they were putting it in. Was this showy? Was this look at me? Was this, this is only 10%. You should see the other 90. Do you know who I am? This is the way that it was approached and what he saw and how this woman put the money in was great faith. So we're gonna use this story today as kind of a a jumping off point. We're gonna be talking about giving. So uh, by way of kind of practical application, get ready, we're gonna take another offering after the sermon. We're not. (laughs) I've seen it. It's horrifying. We're not gonna do that. That was a a joke. But it wasn't as out of place as it maybe should have been. Uh, Maybe some of you have been to a church where things like that happened. Uh, I'm sorry. As we talk about money today, I want to just share with you a, a principle that's in the scriptures. And, and actually, it's tied from beginning to end, Old Testament to new. It's applied to a lot of different uh, avenues of our lives, but it's, um, it's tied to money a lot in the scripture. And that's the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, it, we find it in the New Testament, Paul Uh, refers to it pretty clearly in 2 Corinthians 9, he's taking up this gift uh, that all the different churches are giving to go and help the church in Jerusalem who's being persecuted. And so he's kind of organizing from afar this giving campaign that's happening. And here's what he says to the church. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously we find this principle all through the Old Testament and here into the New Testament. What you put out affects what comes back to you. What you sow, direct correlation to what you reap. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about seed money. If any of you have ever watched some television preachers or whatever, there's this thing of like, if you just send your seed money to me, God will bless you with even more money. What the scripture is not talking about is is give this money so that you can be even richer financially in the end. Rarely does it work that way. There are times when, hey, God can do whatever He wants to do. But the kind of reaping that we'll be talking about today is not financial reaping. It's not give their money to the church and don't worry, God will bless you tenfold. Give a dollar, you'll get ten back. That is a lie. That is not in the scripture. That is not a promise that God makes. Some of you know people that have been taken in by that. Some of you may have been taken in by that. If at all, when I'm talking about sowing and reaping, your mind goes there, best you can put that on the shelf. That's not what we're talking about this morning. God is not after your money. God does not need your money. God is after your heart. God needs nothing from you, but he desires everything for you. Oftentimes when money comes up, we go, oh, how much are they asking for? How much do they want? God just wants me to feel guilty for having this, and I probably should have just given everything away and been poor. And we have this idea that God's this harsh taskmaster up there. What are you doing enjoying life and enjoying money? How dare you? God is not trying to get a single thing from you. He needs nothing from you. He desires everything for you. So he gives this warning through Paul in a letter to Timothy. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. You may have heard this misquoted at times money is the root of all evil. Not what it says. Though there is still a pretty stern warning, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I would love to hear from you this morning. What does that mean? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. What is Paul trying to say there? If you have money, you're naturally an evil person? I don't think so. What does it mean? For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Okay. Yeah. Money can very easily and quickly become a god, a false idol to us. What else? Or, or what does it look like? Well, you guys got quiet all of a sudden. Go ahead, Tim. Okay, they're, they're, I would say if we took polls on kind of varying degrees of wealth, we would probably find some correlation between the wealthier someone is, the more arrogant they may be. Certainly a temptation, at least. Look at what I have done. Look at what I have built. If they would just do what I did, those two things can very much go hand in hand. And therefore, who do they think they are to tell me something? Look how, look how well I've done. So absolutely those can go hand in hand, Shelton mm-hmm. yeah 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 and, and and part of that is the the misquote that a lot of people will give is. Money is the root of all evil, and and I think you're exactly right. Money in and of itself is, is neutral. It's just money. How we view what we do with it, that's where things change. And when money, when there's a love for money in our hearts, that's where we begin to flirt with danger. That's where it says all of a sudden we have to be careful to all different kinds of evil that begin to now tempt and move inside but the root is that that love of money. Yeah, I think that what money represents to each of us is the greatest potential rival to God for our hearts. And and I didn't just say money is the greatest potential rival, though, I mean, you could boil it down to that. But what money represents to each of us, because here's the thing, money means something different to every one of us. One of the things that my wife and I have had to learn through marriage, she views money very differently than I view money. Money to me, I don't look at money, I look at all the stuff money can become. The, the shoes, the, the shiny things, the new phone, the whatever it may be. Money to me is valuable because of what I can turn it into. Money for my wife is valuable because of the security it offers. If we have enough in a bank account, nobody can touch us. He can preach whatever he wants and make people mad and the church can fire him. Who cares? We have enough money in the bank. We'll be okay. I have no idea what's in our savings account. She does. I throw, We... We've talked about this before, she's okay with me sharing that, I know. But money represents something different to us. For me, it represents possessions, stuff. Things that keep me from ever having to worry about, am I gonna be bored today? Things that keep me looking the way that I wanna look so that people perceive me in a way that I want them to perceive me. It may mean security. No one can hurt me now because I have enough money that no matter what, I'll be okay. Even if they walk away, even if they think this and think that, I'm secure because I got enough money in the bank. It can mean kind of what Tim was saying, that power and that prestige, that position. I've got enough now that I am greater than all of those around me. I'm on a different level than them. Look at how successful I've been. Look at how wealthy I am. I now have control over people whatever it is for each of us whether it's those three categories or you create a fourth or a fifth wherever you are whatever money represents to each of us it's the greatest threat the greatest rival to our hearts for god nothing rivals uh, uh, that that devotion that we have or are supposed to have for god like money Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter six, later after the passage we already read about giving in a a secret way. So the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. He then goes on to say this, don't collect for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal for where, excuse me, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and money. Jesus is, kind of, is tying a lot of different things together and he's going, look, where your heart is is tied to where your treasure is. If your treasures, if the things that you love, going back up uh, to what Paul was saying to Timothy, if your love is for money, then your heart is tied to this earth and the things of this earth. Any of you who have a 401k and watch it closely, when that thing ticks up, you get a little, oh, it's so good, I love life right now. When that thing trends down, people are jumping off of buildings. Why? Because their heart is tied to their treasure. Our hearts are tied to the things that we treasure. If those things are things on this earth, for me, that plays out very clearly into actual things on this earth. My heart is tied down here. He goes on to say it seems like a little confusing thing about the the eye being the lamp to the body. And if the eye is good, the body's full of light. If the eye is bad, it's full of dark. And we go, what? Where's your gaze? Where your treasure is, your gaze is. And if your gaze is down on this earth, there's darkness. This is all stuff that is fleeting. You're wasting your life. If your eyes are fixed on the things of heaven because that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, there's light and there's life. And Jesus is telling them, lift your gaze. Don't get stuck serving the things of the earth money, and what it can get you, lift your gaze to the eternal. That's what truly matters. That becomes then the lens by which you live your life. Instead of I gotta get more so I can be more, so that they'll think this, so they'll whatever, lifting your gaze to heavenly things and going, he has already said this about me. I already have every bit of security and value and identity I could ever have because he already gave it to me. Now I can live with light and with life. I'm not tied to the things of this world. No one can be a slave of two masters. He will hate one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. You can't be slaves of God and money. He didn't say you can't be slaves of God and the devil. That would have been we would we been like, yeah, we know Jesus. But he said, let me tell you what it looks like too often. It's money. And how it drags your heart down to these earthly things and you miss what your heavenly father is doing. God isn't trying to get your stuff. He's trying to keep your stuff from getting you. He's encouraging us to lift our gaze onto the heavenly, not get stuck trying to collect all of this that we know one day will not last. So back to where we began, the principle of sowing and reaping. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously will also reap generously. Some ways we're gonna kind of break this down and play this out. The one that sows in trust reaps deep faith. The beautiful thing about what Jesus saw in that poor widow, again, let's read the story, summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury, for they all gave out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she possessed. All she had to live on, she gave everything. She sowed in trust. God, I trust you so much that I'm giving this money away. That's what Jesus saw in her. That's what set her apart from this crowd. She gave everything now, trusting that God would provide later. The problem is we live in a credit card society that says reap now and sow later. Enjoy it now and pay it later. I don't know if anyone would have blamed that woman if she would have come to God and said, God, if you provide for me, I'll give you these two small coins. Give me more today. Give me bread today. Give me what I need today. And then I'll give you these two small coins. We've all done this kind of negotiating before. But God says, that's not how it works in my kingdom. You take a step of faith first. Then you see me move in power. But we live in a society where we tend to go, man, if God will just do this, I'll pay him off. I'll give him this. When the credit card bill comes due, I'll pay it, God. But you move first. You make things easier first. You provide first, then I'll be faithful. And he says, it's not how it works in the kingdom. First, you sow seeds of trust. Based on what he's already done, based on what he's already promised, you live faithfully. You live dependent on me then what you will reap is a deep faith because you will see me moving in power in your life. Not the other way around. Sow seeds of trust in the Lord first. Reap a deep faith in him. The one that sows in trust reaps a deep faith. The one that sows in generosity reaps a generous heart. God is calling us to sow generously so that we will become generous people. He doesn't say wait until you feel generous, wait until you have so much that you can be generous and you're not really risking anything. He calls us to generosity and says, as you kind of take that step of trust and faith and live open-handedly, watch what I will do to your heart. All of the sudden these feelings of generosity and man, who can I serve next and how can we, we out give what we did before and whatever it is, all of these things come but we wait for them to come first. God, give me a generous heart, then I'll start moving generously. And he he says, no. Act. Take steps of generosity. Sow seeds of generosity, and then I will give you a generous heart. He's trying to make us like him. It's Again, much like that woman, it's not about your money. It's not about how much you're giving. It's not about how much is left in the bank account. It's about, are we becoming like him? Are we becoming generous people like he is a generous father? Let me read a couple different ways that the scripture uh, describe our heavenly father. Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. He gives generously more than you can handle and without pointing the finger and going, how dare you? You should have done this and this and this first. Why are you even in this situation? He just says, I am so glad you asked, and pours out generously. John 10.10, 10, a thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come, Jesus speaking, so that you may have life and have it in abundance. And this word abundance, in English, we just mean like, yeah, a lot, a lot but the the actual word in the Greek means poured until so much it's overflowing. The the vessel can't even contain all that's being poured into it. And Jesus says, this is why I've come, that you would have this kind of life. I'm still pouring. I'm not done yet. This is the generosity of our God. Ephesians chapter one, three to eight. Listen to to the generous terms in here. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Christ Jesus for himself, according to his favor and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he favored us with in the beloved. We have... Redemption in him through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, and I love this word, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Listen to this description of God. He he lavishes not just enough, not just, okay, it'll it'll get you through. Here's some wisdom and understanding, lavishes all of it on us, every spiritual blessing. We have been adopted in, which Paul would talk about later in Romans, which means we get every right as heirs to the king. We serve a lavish God who is abundantly, generously pouring out himself, pouring out everything we could ever need. And he's calling us to live like him, to have hearts of deep generosity. Not just money, but also not excluding money. And so he calls us first to sow seeds of generosity so that we can reap generous hearts. Back to the story in Mark chapter 12 of the the widow summoning his disciples. He said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those given to the temple treasury for they all gave out of their surplus. They gave what was meaningless. They gave what they didn't need anyway. Anyway. They gave what they could have already lived without. It's not like God was going, man, I've got some extra grace sitting on the shelf that I'm not using. I guess I'll give it to you. What God poured out cost him, yes? Cost him deeply. And he calls us to live in that same generous spirit. What these men were doing, again, they were giving large sums of money but it wasn't affecting the rest of their lives. There wasn't a generous heart. They were just fulfilling the law. It was a tax of sorts. And so they were being obedient. Jesus doesn't go, these men are horrible. But he goes, man, but she gets it. They were going, what's what's the least we can get away with and have God not be mad at us? She was going, what's the most that I can give in trust of my king? Jesus accuses Some of the the scribes and Pharisees, uh, it's actually during, it's Matthew's account, but it's actually during this same Tuesday. And here's some of the things that he says to them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faith. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. You you gave what was required of you. You gave a tenth of everything you had, even even the herbs in your garden. You give a tenth of them, but it hasn't affected your life. You have not become generous people, which means the way you're approaching the gift is not in a heart of generosity. But again, it's a paying a tax. It's a I'm paying God off to keep him out out of my way kind of thing. They were giving, and again, it was large sums, but they weren't reaping this heart of generosity, which means they weren't sowing seeds of generosity. Where Paul talks about this uh, principle of sowing and reaping, let's, let's read a couple verses after. Remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver and is able to make every grace flow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. The way that you give should lead to every other good work flourishing in your life. Again, God's not trying to get anything from you. He's not trying to get your stuff. He's trying to keep your stuff from getting you. He knows What a death grip our stuff can get on our heart. Our money, the security it brings, whatever it may be can get on our heart. And he says, when you give generously, it begins to pry the fingers away off of your heart. Some of us are wondering, how come I can't beat this in my life? I can't live that way in my life. And I wonder, I don't know your particular situation, but just asking the question, what if there's something holding you back? What if this love of money and what it can bring is stunting your growth because it allows a stranglehold on your heart. Like, according to Jesus, like nothing else in this world will. And as we begin to open the fingers, oh, loosen its grasp on our heart, every other good work will begin to flow from it. We will begin to live generous lives, not just financially, but a giving of our time, of our talents, of our abilities, sacrificing ourselves for other people If we can't do it with money, what would make us think we can do it in other ways? He has directly tied these things together. And and later in that same passage, I don't have it up on the wall, but Paul talking about this gift that they're giving and and he even tells them, he goes, look, I'm not looking for something according to what you don't have. How how come you didn't give a million dollars? And you're like, because I don't have a million dollars. And Paul's not going, shame. He says, but according to what God has given you, how are you acting generously with it? Whether that's the woman putting in a dollar that is of greater value to God than all of the other sums, whether that's a rich person going quietly, humbly, so the left hand doesn't know what the right is doing. Man, it's huge amounts going out to the glory of my God and to the freeing of my own heart and soul so that I can live generously in everything. So let me give a couple practical tips. We, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, we have a very generous church. Um, I did not feel led to preach this message because like, wow, you guys suck at this. Uh, that is not where we find ourselves. We, we have a generous body, but there's also some that, that may be earlier on in this process and trying to figure some of this out. And so I wanna give some practical tips, especially if you're just in the beginning of a giving journey of, of sowing generously, of sowing in trust and faith. The first tip is this. Start with something regularly. You're, maybe maybe you're in a spot where you don't give anything. You just can't afford it. You, you've never seen why. Maybe you don't trust the church. You've been hurt in the past. And, and what are they even using it for? And all of these questions that can come up. Start giving something regularly. For, for many people, the goal is 10%. Uh, I don't believe that the tithe from the Old Testament, a command of 10%, carries into the New Testament. What I do believe is there's a command of generosity, which probably is more costly, but it's good to have a goal, especially if you're starting out. It's good to have something to be able to grab onto. And so a lot of people aim for 10%. Maybe where you're sitting right now, that feels like a huge leap. And man, I've kind of dug myself a hole with some debt and some different things. And I don't know that I could actually do that right now. Okay. Start with two. Start with 2%, but here's the important part. Give regularly. Oftentimes people hear a message like this and they'll put let's, a hundred bucks in the, in the plate or in the box that we have in the back and they go, I did it. And then they don't do anything again for six months and they wonder how come it didn't work. There, there is something about the act of giving regularly that is a constant reminder of that's right, this is not my security. This is not where my value comes from. This is not what the world promises me that it's supposed to be. And I need a regular reminder because I'll fall back into it. And so giving regularly. Start with something. Pick a dollar amount, $10 a week. Pick a percentage, whatever it might be. And just start giving regularly. Test God in this. There, there's an Old Testament passage in Malachi where the people were, were robbing from God. They were withholding the offerings he had commanded them. And he said, test me in this. See, when you give, if I don't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out more blessing than you can possibly imagine. Now, again, does that mean financial blessing? If you give, don't worry, God will make you rich. No. But the blessings of a heart freed to follow him, the blessings of all of these uh, potential roots of evil being loosened in our life and being able to walk free after our God because we chose to give some money away. It's a weird thing. Start giving something regularly. The second one is this, especially for those of you that already are giving, prayerfully consider. Uh, we kind of live in a world now where you can check a little box where money's automatically withdrawn. You don't even notice it. Like you just kind of check a box in your checkbook, like, oh yeah, good, that money's gone. But we're not actually, you don't actually have to give it. It's kind of automatically withdrawn, like it or not. Not that that's a horrible thing. That's actually beneficial to the organizations because there's no one who forgets. Uh, or you know what I mean? So like they, they love when you check that box. I'm not against it, but the, the thing that it robs us of potentially is actually the act of giving. So would you prayerfully consider every time when you sit down to do your budget, whether that's once a month, once a week, twice a week, twice a month, I don't, whatever it is, when you sit down to do your budget, when you decide what are we going to give, would you just prayerfully consider? Start, let that be a time of thanksgiving of going, God, thank you for everything that you have blessed us with. We have, we have food in the refrigerator. We have, right now, air conditioning in the house, hopefully later heat. You have taken care of us. Thank you. Let it be a time of, of, of prayer and thanksgiving to the Lord. And let it be a time of remembering, God, everything I have belongs from you. It came from you and it still belongs to you. Where do you want it to go? I'll tell you our practice. My wife and I have a percentage that is kind of like our baseline in giving to the church each time. But we always bring it before the Lord and go, Lord, is this where you want us to be this month? Sometimes he says, bump it up. Sometimes he says, yeah, but there's also this other thing that I want you to be generous towards. Sometimes he goes, you're good. That's, that's what I want you to give right now. But at least getting into the habit of going, this, it's yours, you direct it. You tell us where you want it to go. And there's been times when it feels crazy and we go, that's too much though, God. What about the things we need and the things we want and the things we were planning for? And he's told us, zero it out, that's for them. And there's other times when we go, when we feel guilty. We're like, oh no, this, this account's big. We're planning for a vacation. Should we have given it all away? And God goes, no, that's for you. I'm a good father and I, I want you to, to go and enjoy it. But just getting into the habit of using those times to prayerfully remember, it's all from you, thank you, Father, and it all belongs to you. Where do you want it to go? What does generosity look like today? And the final practical tip, if you've been hurt by a church before, uh, if you have if you know someone that's been taken in, and some people are pretty leery, uh, some people hear a guy who gets paid by the church standing up saying, give to the church, and some defenses go up, understandably so, Start somewhere else if needed. If that's you, if if those guards are up and you're like, man, are they just trying to get money from me? Are they just, much like the Lord, uh, as your pastor, I tell you the same thing, I want nothing from you. I did this for free for about a decade, and if need be, I'll do it for free again. Start giving somewhere else. Start giving to another ministry uh, that has blessed you. Start giving to someone that you trust. Start giving to someone who's, who's doing some work in another country that you're passionate about, whatever it may be, start there. Because I guarantee once you begin to sow those seeds of generosity, the Lord will give a generous heart. I, I do think that there is uh, a, a scriptural principle about giving to those who feed you spiritually. Uh, we find it a number of times in the New Testament, so I'm not trying to throw that out but I trust the Lord enough. If you need to start somewhere else to test him and to see that what he says is absolutely true, start somewhere else. I'll even point some good ministries out to you if you're like, I wanna start, but I don't even know where to start. I'll show you some other people that you can give to because I believe the word is true. I believe your heart will begin to set free. You, you will, your faith will deepen as you give sacrificially and your heart will become more generous in all aspects of life. Because God's word is always true, and I believe it. So as we're going to come and, and sing, uh, a song called Nothing Else. And, and there's, in the verses, there's this idea. Uh, one thing that we'll keep singing is, I'm sorry, God. And one of them is like for when I'm just going through the motions, When it's just, I don't even think about it. It's just like, yeah, this is church and we sing and oh yeah, we give and oh yeah, there's a message. Okay, good. We're kind of just going through the motions because that's what happens at church. For many of us, that's what giving is. Even those that give regularly, it can just become given out of our surplus. I didn't even notice it. I could do without it anyway. We've just learned 90% is our new 100%, whatever it might be. God, I don't just want to go through the motions. I want these times to be times of thanksgiving and hearing and receiving from the Lord and, and, and knowing that I'm doing what you've called me to do, that I'm living generously because that's what you've called me to do. So I'm going the music team to come on up and, and I'm going to pray for us and then we'll end our time together. Lord Jesus, I thank you uh, for the faithfulness of a poor widow 2,000 years ago uh, and the lessons that we're still learning. I thank you that it's not about what we don't have, that it's not about measuring up and giving as much as they give or uh, serving as much as they serve or whatever it may be. It's not about comparison. It's about sitting with our Father and following where you lead. God, we recognize now corporately everything we have has come from you. You are our Heavenly Father. You provide for us. Even as Jesus prayed, give us today our daily bread. May we give you thanks and glory and honor for the way that you continue to lavish on us everything we need, physically, spiritually, in every way. And God, may we turn and offer it all right back to you. Because we want to be generous like our generous Father. So just lead us in this, we pray, God. If, If in any way it has just become rote and we don't even think about it anymore, would you remind us this month what it is uh, to give back to the king, what it is to praise the king for the way that he is moving and providing and to seek to partner with the king in his mission. So would you just remind us of all of this, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.